The rest, would you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 10 and verse 27. John 10, 27. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Let's pray. Father, we love you so. We thank you. Uh, tremendous blessings of this day, the opportunity that we have to gather as your people to worship you and to lift up your name and to sing songs and to hear music and to, to pray and to see uh, Ben commissioned and to be a part of that. Lord, we thank you. But we thank you that as we worship you, you are not simply a distant spectator. You take an active role. For it is your spirit, O oh God, that leads us to worship you. It is you, Lord Jesus, who receives our worship. And, O oh Father, we pray that you might even now speak to us through your word. Would you speak in the children's worship to the kids? Would you bring them to trust in Jesus? And would you help us, O oh God, to be sure? In Jesus' name, amen. The, the topic, if you will, that's going to be that the theme of uh, the message this morning is, is the idea of assurance of salvation. And I think we, we live in an age in which that concept is often confused. And, and I want us to be able to think it through and understand the significance of what it means to be assured of our salvation, which is different than the certainty of salvation or the reality of our salvation. Okay? And by that I mean that whether or not I am saved, God knows, right? And I'm saved entirely through the work of Jesus Christ alone. That's the certainty, that's the reality of my salvation. But the fact is, sometimes I'm not sure, right? Sometimes I don't know that I'm actually saved. That's assurance. And so it's an entirely different thing. And I, 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 I talk with folks and, and have ministered to people throughout the years who wrestle with assurance of salvation. And, and I see some pastors are real, real quick. Someone says, oh, I'm wrestling with assurance of salvation. They say, oh, no, don't, 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 don't do that. You need to be assured. Instead of realizing, but what if they're not saved? Shouldn't they be wrestling with assurance of salvation? Absolutely. And so there's a, there's a different path. And, and so that's a, a part of what we're going to be looking at today. And uh, it's such an important uh, place. And, and it, was, it was probably understood in the past a little bit better because of things like the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is the doctrinal standard of this, this church, um, was written. And there's an entire chapter of 33. There's one chapter given over to assurance of grace and salvation. How do I know that I am assured? How can I be assured? How do I know that I am saved? And this, the chapter 18 begins, and in the first paragraph, we find these words. Yet such as truly believe in the Lord Jesus, and love him in sincerity, endeavoring to walk in all good conscience before him, may in this life be certainly assured that they are in the state of grace, and may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, which hope shall never make them ashamed. What the authors wanted us to know right off the bat, one of the very first things, is that assurance of salvation is possible. 
And that's a tremendous comfort. It is something that I can find in my life. I can be assured of my salvation. In the fourth paragraph, they continue on, and uh, I'm going to read just a couple different sections from that, partly because the, the Westminster Divines had a thing about commas. If they could put anything in between two commas and throw it into a thought in a sentence, they would. So it just, it just it sometimes a little bit convoluted. They say, true believers may have the assurance of their salvation diverse ways shaken, diminished, and intermitted. In other words, we may be true believers, and yet we still struggle from time to time. I may be totally assured today and next week uh, be, be convinced that there's no way I'm saved, right? And it can be in between those things. And he, he points that out. But then he goes on, uh, they go on to say, yet are they never utterly destitute of that seed of God and life of faith, that love of Christ and the brethren, that sincerity of heart and conscience of duty, out of which, by the operation of the Spirit, this assurance may in due time be revived. In other words, that, that God has also provided for us that we're never going to be so completely devoid of anything like the characteristics of belonging to Christ, by which, with some effort on our part, we may find assurance. What we see from that is the certainty of my salvation is based entirely in the work of Christ. My assurance is something I can work to find. And that's what the Westminster divines were trying to communicate to us. John chapter 10 is uh, the, the, the context of the verse we're looking at. Jesus is having some level of conflict with the uh, Jews of his day, and they've asked him for a sign. Asked him for a sign. Another sign, right? You fed 5,000. Big deal. Give us a real sign now, right? In the next chapter, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. What's their response? Oh, we still don't believe. All right, well, there's nothing that's ever going to get through these people. But they're, they're saying they want a sign. But Jesus gets right to the point. And instead of just hearing, oh, we want a sign, he deals immediately and he confronts their unbelief. He says, you want a sign because you don't believe. And you don't believe because you're not my sheep. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? It gets right to the heart of the matter with them. But I think there's an element in which he's also aware of who's listening. And he's aware of their character. The disciples are there, right? And they're seeing this interaction. They're hearing these words. Well, you don't believe because you're not my sheep. One of the characteristics, I think, of, of Christ's sheep is we, we, we can tend to be a little bit... We can have an introspective element to ourselves, right? It's a part of who we are. It's a part of what God has done in putting His Spirit inside us that we, we look inside. And, and though some people might say, as Jesus is talking to the Jews, you don't believe because you're not my spirit. Yeah, go get them, Jesus. The disciples might have very well been going, well, a little bit ago he said I had little faith. Am I one of them? Do I not believe? Is it possible that I'm, I'm not saved? Is it possible I'm not his sheep? And so then he turns the attention and he says, but you understand, my sheep hear my voice. I'm like, oh yeah, we heard him, he called us. And I know them. Oh yeah, he knows us. And they follow me. Oh yeah, we follow him. 
So he provides for them in this moment when they could be in despair and they could begin to lose hope. He says, here, here is a basis of assurance of your salvation. And so he speaks this invitation to us to find assurance of salvation. There are two questions I want us to consider as we look at this idea of assurance of salvation. The first question is, how can I be sure? How can I be sure? Um, Rene Descartes, uh, I'm sure there's a name you're, you're at least somewhat familiar with, um, he was trying to be sure. Now his concern was, what if, what if this world is actually run by some omnipotent demon who, I'm just here and, and I'm just their plaything, and I don't, I'm not really in existence, I'm just a part of their imagination. And I'm not actually a, a, a being or a person. What, what if that's the case? How would I know? And his answer is, I think, therefore I am. He recognized my ability to even posit that question indicates to me that I do exist. That the one thing this omnipotent demon would have to do in order for me to be in this place is he's got to give me the, the ability to think and in that ability to think I find that I do indeed exist. And I exist of my own right. And so he began to, to work from there. And you see, obviously, from there is the rise of rationalism. And, and uh, we, we look at different uh, epistemologies and, and the, the way in which we begin to understand through rationalism that I'm able to, to know certain truths. And that's a part of what Descartes is working with. But the key was he recognized that internal doubt that we can have, right? And he found a basis upon which he could know because we're afraid sometimes that we're deluded. I mean, all of us can turn around and we can say, I know that Jesus died for his people. Amen? No question. I know that the only way of salvation is through Jesus Christ, right? I know I need to believe in order to be saved, right? But do I? That's where the rubber meets the road. All the rest of those propositions are things that reside in my mind, but faith resides in my will. Do I actually believe? That's my question when it comes to the idea of assurance of salvation. Not, is salvation a reality and does God save? No, that's settled. But am I one of those? And that's the question that I begin to rise. How can I be sure? I think that in this passage, Jesus gives two demonstrations of faith that his people have. Two ways in which we demonstrate our faith. And the first is, we demonstrate our faith as we keep listening. As we keep listening, he says, my sheep hear my voice. Hear, it's the Greek word akuo, which is very common. Matter of fact, we're quite familiar with it because it's the word from which we get acoustic. Wyatt plays an acoustic guitar. It's something that we're hearing, right? And there's a unique way in which uh, that's there. And so we know that acoustic has to do with hearing. Okay, so we kind of understand what akuo actually means. You actually are reasonably familiar with, with the nuances of that word. What's interesting is in this passage, it's in the present tense, which means it's a present continuous action. He does not say, you, my sheep heard my voice. He did not say, my sheep will hear my voice. He says, my sheep are hearing my voice. It's a continual process that I'm continually hearing the voice of God. In particularly, 
the voice of Jesus Christ. This idea of the connection between Jesus, the gospel, God's revelation, and hearing, I think is important. Hebrews chapter 1, which we're going to be looking at Hebrews in uh, a, a couple months. But in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, uh, the author of Hebrews is writing to Jews who are in this intertestamental time. They've been faithful within the, the Jewish church, and uh, they're, they're not knowing what to do with Jesus. And so the uh, author is calling them to follow Jesus. That's really what Hebrews is all about. And he begins that entire epistle with these words. He says, God, after he spoke long ago in the to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. You see what he begins to talk about? What does he talk about Jesus? He talks about Jesus being the spoken word, the, the, or the spokesperson of the word. Either way, John 1.1 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That recognition that Jesus is that, that spoken revelation of God the Father. And to begin to see how essential it is, and it's so important to hear the Word, that he calls Jesus the Word. Now, we tend to think that uh, a picture's worth a thousand words, but you see, to the Jews, that wasn't necessarily the case. The word was much more significant than seeing. Not seeing God that mattered. It was hearing him that was most important. That message and the content of that message. In Mark chapter 9, we see a demonstration of that as well. This is uh, the transfiguration as uh, Jesus is up on the mountain. And, and we see in verse 7, Then a cloud formed and overshadowed them, and a voice a voice came out of the cloud and said, this is my beloved son. And then what? Listen to him. Keep hearing him is what it's telling them to do. How essential was it? The voice did not say, this is my son, look at him, did it? It did not say, this is my son, touch him. Because we would be in a rough spot today, wouldn't we? This is my son, listen to him. In 1 John 1, 1, John begins to uh, point out what the message is that they brought and to invite his readers to think about that. He says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard. He begins with what we have heard. He looks at the others, what we have seen with our eyes and what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The focus upon the need to hear the revelation of God. As a matter of fact, the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament writes this about the word akuo. It says, the content of hearing corresponds to that of what is heard. It is the reception of grace and the call to repentance in response to salvation and its ethical demand. Thus, faith and obedience are the marks of real hearing, the obedience of faith. Faith and obedience are the response of real hearing. That's the idea that the believer keeps listening to the voice of Jesus. Do you care what Jesus says? A serious question. Do you take time and concern yourself with what is the Word of God? And what has God revealed of Himself? And what has God revealed for me? What has God revealed about this situation? Do you care what that is? 
my follow-up. And, and my assumption, why else would you be here? Right? Um, I got nothing but the Word of God to bring to you. <laughs> that's, that's the only reason you put up with this 35 to 60 minutes. Is because you care about the Word of God. You believe that somehow in the midst of the foolishness of preaching, the Word of God comes to you, right? It's why you actually read your Bible, right? So the follow-up question is why? Why do you care what God has to say? Why does it matter to you? There are countless, maybe billions, that couldn't care less, right? But you do. You do because you're His sheep. Don't you see? What He's telling you is that's a way that you can find assurance. You know what? I, I care what God has to say. I care, maybe that's because God's at work in my life, right? What a great hope that that provides. And when that's true in your life, let me just say, sit under God's word, friends. Sit under God's word every single day. Open up the scripture. Whether you choose to read a verse, a chapter, a book, or the whole Bible every day, doesn't matter. But open up the word of God and look at it every day. Why? Because God is speaking, and I want to listen. That's why. Take that time to engage in the Word of God when you're hearing preaching. You're not here to learn the philosophy of Vince. How shallow would that be and, and worthless? You're here to hear the Word of God and that God miraculously works through a preacher opening up His Scripture and bringing to you His very Word. It's an amazing, miraculous event that God does. But I want to have ears that are going to hear the Word of God and that I'll forget the words of a person and that God's Word is going to penetrate my life and transform me. Study the Word. Uh, the leadership team has agreed to start working a lot on, on uh, small groups in the next year. And, and what a part of that is, is small groups that are getting together to study the Word of God. Now, sometimes we'll study the Word of God through a, a, a book written by man, and sometimes we'll, we'll study the Word of God directly, but, but we want to study it and really know it and really bring it into our lives so that it changes us. That's what we're seeking to accomplish. Keep listening. Because I believe that as we sit under the Word, it does this amazing thing. First, have you experienced at some point in your life when you haven't read the Bible in a little while or, and you're, it's almost, you, you thirst for it, right? You know, it's like, ah, I just really, I really want to read the Scripture. I want to spend more time in, in, in the Word. And, and you know, that, that thirst that God gives us for the Word, as we go to the Word and, and, and we drink of it, it has this amazing thing. It makes that thirst come back more quickly so that He makes us thirst for that which is good for us. Pursue that. Keep listening. And then keep following. Following is closely tied to hearing because it's what we hear that tells us where to go, right? So following is going to be led by hearing, but I am to follow. He concludes this by saying, they follow me. They follow 
me, also in the present tense, meaning it's a present continuous action. What does it mean to follow Jesus? I mean, at that time, we talked about it last week, that Levi had to get up and and leave the, the booth, and then he had to physically follow after Jesus, and we can't exactly do that because his physical body's in heaven, and we can't quite get there at least not with our physical bodies, and we shouldn't be moving quickly on that anyway. But, but, so what does it mean to follow Jesus? I think, first off, it would mean to follow his teachings, right? I mean, that seems rather obvious, doesn't it? And by follow his teaching is something different than saying, I affirm his teaching. It's something different than saying, I extol his teaching, right? It means I'm going to live him. I'm going to do it. I want to I seek to put them into practice in my own life. That's what it is to, to follow his teachings. Teachings like... John 14, 6, and Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. I'm going to live that out. I'm going to live as though there's only one way of salvation, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to live as though there's only one way for me to have a relationship with God the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ. And so as I pray, I'm going to pray in Jesus' name, not because it's a magical formula, but because I must be praying through Him as my mediator. Because it's the only way to the Father. And I begin to live out His teaching that He's the only way. I begin to live out His teaching from John thirteen thirty four, in which he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I've loved you, that you also love one another. I think most Christians, we would, we would see, okay, Jesus commands us to love one another. We'd say, okay, done, got that. What, what's next, Lord? And yet, if I really begin to look at the way that I treat other people, I begin to look at the words that I speak, I begin to see maybe there's a little more hatefulness inside here than I'd like. And I begin to see that if I really want to follow these teachings of Jesus, I need to change the way that I treat other people. I need to change the way that I write about other people. I need to change the way that I think about other people. So that love is what really drives my relationship with even those that, with whom I disagree. I'm going to live the teaching of Jesus where it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Am I really living for heaven first? Am I really pursuing the righteousness of Jesus Christ above all else? You see, this is what it means to follow the teachings of Jesus. It's not to be someone who's memorized the the Sermon on the Mount. Someone who's living it. I love the question that was asked to me years ago. How much of the Bible do you think you know? Followed by, how much of what you know do you live? It's like, well, there's, there's a good question. That takes me to where I need to go. Also follow his example. Right? That's the second part. To follow his example. And no, it's not follow the example of walking around to graveyards trying to raise the dead. That's, that's not his example. What's his example that I need to follow? Jesus said he came to seek and to save that which is lost, right? Maybe that's what I need to be focusing on. Am I really interested in seeing unsaved people saved? Do I really love people that well? That's what I want to follow. Do you care what Jesus wants? Does it matter to you what Jesus wants? Do you ask yourself or ask him, Lord, where would you have me to go? What do you want in this particular situation? Do you care? Yes, right? Why? Why do you care what Jesus wants? The bulk of the world around us doesn't care what Jesus wants, right? 
Right? Sometimes the folks in church don't seem to necessarily care what Jesus wants, sometimes, right? Why do you care? Is it not because you're His? Because He owns you. Because He's loved you. That's why. That's why you care. You see, the fact that you care what God wants is an indication that you belong to Him. And it's a basis of real assurance. I want to read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Amen, right? Basically, this is a life lived because I care what God wants. This is a life lived saying I want to consecrate myself to live the way God wants me to live. <clears throat> not in order to gain salvation, but because he's, he's done this great work in my life. That's why. Jerry Bridges writes about it in The Pursuit of Holiness. Uh, pray for your session. We're working through this for the next year as we begin our, our session meetings each, each month. And uh, this, this passage really caught my attention. Uh, it says... Many Christians have what we might call a cultural holiness. They adapt to the character and behavior patterns of Christians around them. As the Christian culture around them is more or less holy, so these Christians are more or less holy. But God has not called us to be like those around us. He's called us to be like himself. Amen? Matter of fact, we see that even in Romans 12 too. He says, do not be conformed to this world. And the word that's translated as, as world is the word eon which means age. It's not the word cosmos, which would mean kind of like, we'll, we'll talk about the church in the world, right? We use world kind of like uh, the Jews use Gentile, all those who are outside the church. That is not the word that is used here. This is a word that would include the church. Do not be conformed to your age, even the age of the church, but be transformed by the word of God. What this passage is telling us to do is first and foremost to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. We begin by turning to God and saying, I give myself fully to you, unreservedly to you. I am yours. Fill me, O God, and use me for whatever you want. That's the beginning place, right? The second step, after I've, I've committed myself and presented myself to Him, is I need to be sure I'm not conforming. To begin to examine my life carefully. Am I being driven by my community around me? Am I being driven by the church? Or is the Word of God what is actually guiding me in the way that I live my life? And to have enough of that introspection that I can be honest when it's not being driven in the right place. And then I need to be transformed. I need to be taking the Word of God inside me and allowing it to do its work. Friends, examine yourself. Take an honest look. Do I want to listen? Do I want to follow? And when you see that you do, friends, take great hope. Take great comfort. The natural man doesn't want to listen to Jesus or follow him. The individual who's dead in their trespasses and sin does not want to listen to or follow Jesus. The one who wants to listen to and follow Jesus is Jesus' sheep. That's what he tells us. You can take comfort. 
On the other side, you may find, no, I'm not really interested in what Jesus says or in following him. And if that's true of you, I would encourage you to be afraid, to be very afraid. Because that would indicate that at this point, you're outside of that influence of the Spirit of God by which you'll be saved. And allow that fear to affect you in such a way that you turn to God and say, God, please rescue me from this state. And as you ask Him to rescue you by the blood of Jesus Christ, then listen to what He has to say. And then follow Him wherever He leads. And then you'll find assurance that you have indeed been saved. How do I know for sure? I keep listening and I keep following. But what is my hope? That's our second question. What is my hope? Matthew 19, Jesus has just dealt with the rich young ruler. And that's where he has uh, said to the disciples, it is easier for a camel to fit through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Remember that? To which uh, they said, then, then who can be saved? He says, with man it's impossible, but with God all things is possible. And then Peter, as Peter does, raises the question in verse 27. Peter said to him, Behold, we've left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. What's Jesus saying? It's easy to look at this and say, oh, see, prosperity gospel, that's what he's saying. Trust Jesus, get a Porsche, right? And, and, and yet, if you look really closely, that isn't what he's saying at all. He's saying it's even better than that. It's even better than that. You can't outgive God. All that you give to Him, He will give way more. Or the saying one time that God is in the habit of giving to you with His right hand what He just took with His left. He has that capacity inside Him. But you see, it's not of this world. Hebrews chapter eleven sixteen, 16, this... Uh, Hall of Faith, if you will. Uh, we read this about those who had followed, uh, followed after God. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So our hope is not in this world. What is our hope? Our hope, first of all, is that you're beloved. You are his beloved. Look at what he says. My sheep. My sheep. It is, I don't know, kind of cultural to talk about sheep, and, and I've heard uh, many a preacher say the reason God calls us sheep is because sheep are so stupid. You've heard that, right? And they talk about the dumb things that sheep do, and see, that's just like us. You know, I'm not sure if that's why um, Christ did that. I'm, I'm not sure God the Father would want to call the bride of his son stupid ones, right? I'm not sure that's 
the characteristic that most fills the mind of God when he thinks about his beloved people for whom his son shed his blood. I think the image that he has in his mind is more like the image that Nathan the prophet gave to David after he slept with Bathsheba and killed uh, Uriah. Remember, Nathan came to him and told him the parable about a poor man who had a sheep and he loved that little ewe sheep and he brought that ewe sheep into his home and he cared for that ewe sheep and he even talks about that he he would have that ewe sheep sleeping with him, close to him, to, to be with him and he talks about that intimate relationship, right? Yeah. I think that's more what he has in mind when he says, you're my sheep. Don't you? It means you're beloved. You are precious to him. As a matter of fact, look at verses 28 and 29 that just immediately follow uh, verse 27. This is what he has to say about his sheep. He says, I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Can't you just kind of see the Lord Jesus Christ rising up to his full height at that moment and saying to all of the forces of evil around the universe, no one will snatch them out of my hand. And here is the king of kings. He's making a declaration with the power of divine fiat. It will not happen. Much more powerful than Gandalf slamming down his sword in that moment and saying, you shall not pass. Because this is the very declaration of Almighty God that no one will do it. And then he goes even over his own head. What does he say in the next verse? My father who's given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And I and the Father are one is the next verse. We're together with this. And this declaration is what it means to be a sheep. You don't say that just over a stupid one, right? You say that over someone that you adore. And that's what he's communicating to us, that you are beloved. You're his beloved. What does that mean, to be his beloved? I mentioned earlier that I've, I've, I've walked through Assurance of Salvation with a, a lot of people throughout my, my ministry and even before I was in the ministry and, and just helping people try to grasp the reality of, of this, this gospel in their life and, and what it means and things that people wrestle with and what brings the doubts into our life. And, and so there are three, three propositions that I believe I want you to, to, to consider that are affected by this concept of being his beloved. And the first one is that you are the person he designed you to be. You are not random. You have not just happened to be in this spot. But that God designed you uniquely to be the person that you are. The crowd around us is continually um, identifying and, and pointing out where we might be different from other folks, right? And we might be different from the crowd and we might not fit in. And it wants to uh, point those out so that we might conform more and, and it makes us feel odd. We may say quirky. But somehow quirky means we're not quite what we ought to be. But you see, to God, He designed you to be precisely who you are right now. 
It was in his plan before he made time. Not only that, but to be his beloved also means that you are where he planned you to be right now. Think of the dear saint who, with tears in her eyes as she was nearing departing from this life, said, I feel like I'm a disappointment to God. And we had to go through walking through the idea that she's exactly where God designed her to be, where God planned her to be. Think about the sovereignty of God. Do you really think that you were able to mess up His plan? Really? Really? Do you think you could do that? I just don't think you're that strong, right? You're just not able. We aren't capable of that. God is sovereign over everything and He saw it. And He knew where He wanted you to be and He knew the steps to get you there. And right now is a part of that. You're beloved. You're not a disappointment. You're who He designed you to be. You're right where He wants you to be. And, and you know what else? You glorify God. You do. You individually show something about God in which He is honored and glorified. That's a good thing. Because you're the beloved. That's what His design was for you. What is your hope? Your hope is to be His beloved. Hope is also that He knows you. Jesus not only said, My sheep hear my voice, He says, And I know them. And I know them. I think about uh, those who might write a letter to the president. I, I recently listened to a biography of Abraham Lincoln, and it would talk about individuals who would write letters to President Lincoln. And on occasion, he'd write back. And as he wrote back, you know, they, they'd get this letter, and, and I'm sure they'd get this later, and they'd, they'd say, look, President Lincoln noticed me. But they would still be aware, but he doesn't know me, right? But Jesus Christ says, I know them. Now let's think about the significance of that as we see it used in different places in the Scripture in particular in the New Testament, we look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Can you imagine a graver verse in all of the Bible? A more terrifying sentence to hear from the mouth of Christ. I never knew you. You see what that carries with it. Is there's no possibility of salvation for that individual. A hope is gone. Why? Because Christ did not know them, but He knows you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. 2 Timothy 2.19 gives us a little bit of a picture of that. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal... The Lord knows those who are His, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. The Lord knows 
those who are his. He knows every one of them. John 17.3 tells us this is eternal life, that they would know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Right? Eternal life is to, be, is to know God. But how much do we really know him? Right? If I had to know him enough to save myself, I don't know that I could. I, I think it was a Wayne Watson concert one time that we listened to, and I just really appreciated it. And it, I hadn't thought of it this way. He said, we spent a whole lot of time uh, trying to hold on to Jesus. He said, it took me a while to figure out it's really more important that Jesus holds on to me. And it's like, that's absolutely true. It's really a whole lot more important that Jesus knows me, isn't it? Because he knows me all the way through. He knows the, the working of all of the atoms inside my body, right? He knows everything about me. He knows all of the hair that have fallen from my head, not just the ones that are still present, but all of them. That's knowing me. And isn't that what intimacy is all about? Isn't intimacy to know and be known by another individual? That's an intimate relationship. We confuse intimacy with sex and we think that sex is intimacy. No, 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 it's just a tool that God gives. Intimacy is to know and be known by another person. That's what intimacy is. And we are known by God, fully and completely known and accepted. That's a great thing, isn't it? He knows you. This is our hope. I mentioned earlier that assurance can be confusing. Because when we're talking about assurance, we're not talking about assurance that Jesus saves. We're talking about assurance that Jesus saves me. We're not talking about assurance that Jesus can save me. We're talking about assurance that Jesus has saved me. That's what it is to deal with assurance of salvation. Jesus knew we'd read the Bible. He knew that because he knew my sheep hear my voice. And he knew in reading the Bible, we'd read his words to the Jews and we might question and we might doubt. Jesus also knew that we have a, a, an angelically powerful enemy whose nickname is Accuser of the Brethren who will be whispering in our ears, telling us everything that's wrong with us, breeding doubt inside our hearts that we might live our lives in fear and in terror. And even though Satan knows that we're saved, he still wants us to doubt that, lest we have the confidence by which we can move forward and have an impact. Jesus knew that. And so he spoke these words to give us assurance. He wants us to have assurance. And that assurance can come if you keep listening. If you keep listening and you keep following, you can be sure that you're beloved and known. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We love you because you have first loved us with an everlasting love. Even before time, you set your love upon us. Thank you. Thanks for speaking and leading Help us to listen and follow. Thank you for loving us and knowing us. Help us to rest. Father, I pray for this congregation. 
I pray for those who might be struggling with assurance that you'll help them to work through that, that they will find the infallible assurance of their being in grace. For those who maybe don't yet know you, Lord, would you please bring them to yourself? And for each of us, Lord, grant that we will live in confidence knowing who owns us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.